Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. Hey, we're on location today in Dallas, Texas, courtesy of the Christian Leadership Alliance. Check them out online. Christian, did I say it right? Christian Leadership Alliance. You did. I got different things in my head to think of. ChristianLeadershipAlliance.org. Yep. The Outcomes Conference comes one, once a year, but Christian Leadership Alliance is a gathering of hundreds and thousands of Christian, Christ-centered, focused, nonprofit organizations learning how to be excellent in what they do and to be efficient and effective in what they do. You should join the Christian Leadership Alliance because the access just to the training materials is spectacular. And they brought us here to capture a few of the behind-the-scenes stories of what's going on here at their annual conference. Today we get to talk with Arthur Satterwhite. You can check him out online, arthursatterwhite.com. He's from Young Life. You're going to hear more of his story about how he's putting his faith into action every day at Young Life. Whatever prompted I mean, you, you said you just got your doctorate just recently from Regent University. Mm-hmm. Love those folks at Regent University. They're really, they're, 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 I mean, you got some phenomenal things going on there. You got a doctorate. What was your doctorate in again? Strategic leadership. Strate- yeah, but it was more detailed than that. You said your dissertation was leadership in the context of a multi-generational, finish it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so my uh, dissertation was exploring leadership in the context of generationally diverse environments, primarily primarily looking at the church. Generationally um, diverse environments. Like what, what better place is there a church when we see you know this just congregation, this coming together of everything from newborns to senior citizens. Of course, we know in the workplace we're starting to have that conversation around sure. you know, multiple, you know, namely four, if not five generations trying to figure out how do we just coexist, how do we work. Um, but the church is a place that we often look at and like, that's nothing new. This is what we do. Now, we raise babies and we care for our senior citizens mm-hmm. and everybody in between. But yet our churches are in many ways are struggling trying to figure out how do we you know, stop millennials, this exodus of millennials, right? Or you know, even as we start to think about Gen Z that's coming through, how do we cater to a generation that we don't yet fully understand um, when a lot of our churches are still you know, average age 50 plus? Right. Um, how, how do we you know, make sure that even though this is our norm in our mindset right. and our generation, that it's not to the exclusion of others below? So. Well, and, and God designed that multi-generational diversity. I mean, that was it was in His intention. Mm-hmm. I mean, He wanted young people to be hung, hanging around old people, and and learning from their mistakes. I mean, that was what God designed. Yet we have, as a four walls church, done a pretty good job of segmenting the generations so they all hang out with each other instead of hanging out intergenerationally. Why don't you talk to us about, at what point in time did you realize that God cared as much about your work, whether you were a pulpit pastor or whatever you've been doing? I mean, Mm -hmm. even as a student, a doctoral student, to know that that work was significant. Talk to us about that realization that you realized there wasn't a second tier in the kingdom. Um, I'd say that I was introduced to this idea of calling and vocation late in life. Um, It wasn't until about 2011, so only about six or seven years ago, or actually seven, eight years ago. There you go. (laughs) That, you know, that even that, that that concept of calling and vocation um, was introduced to me. So before that, you know, when I started out right out of college, I was in real estate property 
property management. Um, it was in the midst of that work that I found my way back to the church. Um, and at the time, as I was you know, growing in leadership within the church, um, was feeling some, somewhat disconnected from the work I was doing in real estate. Um, and because I didn't understand calling a vocation, my thought was, well, I'll move back to Jersey. I'll keep doing this real estate because it pays the bills. It paid well. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll, this way I can do more work in the church because that's where ministry happens. <laughs> right? And there are four million people right now listening to the show today going, that's exactly how I feel. Exactly. But there are 150 million Jesus followers that are feeling exactly the Come same on. thing. Come on. And that's that's what calling a vocation when I was introduced to it. just It was a mind blow for me because it was like, wait, God has a calling on my life. That, you know, Just because I may not be in the pulpit of this church, it doesn't mean my ministry stops at the doors of the church. No. Yeah. If you're an accountant, if you're a tax you know, person, if you're a CEO, whatever you do in life, you're a teacher. That's your ministry. That's your vocation. That's what God has called you to. You're called to be the salt and light, hands and feet of Christ in that space and to to own it. You're the disciple that God has raised up there. So were you able to then, even in the real estate business, um, was there a time when you were able to kind of switch that thinking actively um towards the end you know i I started just wearing my my heart on my sleeve wearing jesus on my sleeve where i would just be there and my goal was hey i just want to be that light here in this office while i'm here um looking back on it i wish i understood calling a vacation when i was there because i may not have stepped out of that well that's what i was gonna ask why the heck you leave because I didn't, I didn't. For me, it was just like my calling, or at the time, like I want to do ministry, and ministry happens in the church, so I want to go be more in the church. Yep. So that's why I left it initially. Um, but looking back on it, if I had understood this, um, I can't say that I still wouldn't have left because mm-hmm. my time at American Bible Society, you know, equipped me and prepared me for even my work that I'm doing now with mm-hmm. Young Life. However. Uh, there, there. I, I want to encourage anybody that's in that space that may not be, you know, feel called to be a preacher, to be a pastor, to be a minister in the sense that we define ministry in many of our spaces. No, be what God. You know, go do what God has called you to do in business, as an entrepreneur, as an educator, whatever it is. Do that because God's going to use you mightily. Your work. Uh, one of the best gospel messages I've ever heard was by a man named Devon Franklin. He's oh, a, a Hollywood producer. Yes. Um, he got a broke, big movie coming out this summer. He does. Uh, broke down the gospel yeah. using the metaphor of Holly, Hollywood and producing a movie in a way that was just so clear that was just like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. if that's not a pure picture of, no, this is you bringing the gospel, bringing Jesus into that space, a space that we don't often you know, associate with, with Christ and with Jesus and with Christendom. You know, no, no, he made it crystal clear. No, Christ is in this. God mm-hmm. is sovereign. He's over it. Your focus is on the 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 generational diversity mm-hmm. now you're talking about our whole cultural diversity mm-hmm. so you mix those two together i mean what's the solution sure. because the body of christ is supposed to be the solution jesus is the answer to all the questions that mm-hmm. the culture is asking today how do we bring that solution together because the media does a really good job job at driving sure. um a wedge mm-hmm. but jesus does a phenomenal job of healing the wedge. How do we do that? In a minute or less, tell me how we solve these problems. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the simple answer is, you know, be more like Jesus, right? Isn't that, mm-hmm. you know, as we grow in Christ, we should look more like Christ. So what did Christ look like? Well, what we see in the Bible is here's a, a man, you know, Christ, you know, God incarnate as a man um, that did more listening and asking questions than he did yeah. actually preaching. And I'd like to argue that he did that because he was being sensitive to who's 
talking to him? Who's he engaging with? Because if he's going to make sure that the gospel, what he was called to introduce this person to, the good news, he wanted to make sure it actually got through, it cut through whatever barrier, whatever lens, whatever bias that they might have, so that they could experience him in his fullness as the good news, as that message. Well, Jesus was perfect at contextualizing the message. Sure. And he was phenomenal asking questions. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say is... (laughs) And help our listeners to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. I really think that okay. because right. we ha- we point. just we have yeah. a great um, generational diversity of listeners, and um, I think that they want to know. They're just ignorant, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, we're all ignorant, and I say that in a kind way um, that we just don't know what we don't know. We don't mm-hmm. even realize what we're doing. For instance, um, churches across this country set up small groups. By age. How does that help with our generational diversity? Come on. That's right. Okay, so solve the problems. Let's talk let's deal first with generational diversity. Sure. And and I don't I want to talk about you said you did it within the context of the church, but I want to talk about because right now people entering the workforce is Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're sixteen year old kids um, that are entering the workforce and there are still people that are working in their eighties. So they will be very young traditionalists mm-hmm. still left. Mm-hmm. How do we get the old generations to appreciate the kids with the young ideas? Because these kids with young ideas, they are not going to adopt a workplace or a church place that looks and thinks the way that the traditionalists do. What's the solution? Um, I think the first thing, uh, one really practical thing that I would uh, that I often offer to any leader that I'm speaking to, organizations, whatever they are, church. Um, Remember, you were young once. Oh, and remember, th- 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 I love I love the Bible because it's so applicable on so many fronts. You know, in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, and this is a primary right. example of that. <laughs> Solomon was very frustrated when he wrote that book. <laughs> exactly. Well, our old, our older leaders, they were young once, and when they were young, they complained about the older generation above them that didn't get them, yep. that did, did, wanted to force whatever their beliefs and values were down their throats. Mm-hmm. It's nothing new. We're doing the same thing to the generation. I'm a millennial right now. We're going to do it to Gen Z. I'm already calling it. I'm I'm going to be guilty of it. I'm sorry. Hopefully, I'll be better about it because I've done some research on it. But <laughs> it, 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 but it it's not your natural tendency. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just remember, you were young once. And as you remember that you were young once, remember, you brought some new things to this world. You helped to, to reshape culture, to you know, help your older generations above you, to reconnect with a changing world. That's what the younger generations do. They may be innovating, but they're also helping us to connect in different ways, in new ways, in the ways that that are the ways of our time. So there's value there. But we also need our younger generation. And this is where I love you know, the work of, say, Phyllis Tickle. Um, if you've read her stuff, um, The Great Emergency, wrote a book. She used the metaphor of a boat tied to a dock. Um, the boat is filled with really that younger generation that's trying to get out there to the sea and you know, to, to chart a new course and to define, to explore, to go out there and you know, find new land. Um, but there's that rope that's anchoring them to the dock and that's the older generation which is keeping them from getting too far out lest mm-hmm. they get caught in the waves or they get you know if there, a storm comes and you know the, the, the boat capsizes keeping them connected um, and oftentimes the picture unfortunately is that you know the boat wants to pull them back too hard you're getting too far and the boat itself is saying no you're pulling us back we want to get so we, we need to figure out how do we find that balance how do we find that tension and um, the simple answer is it starts with just reconnecting learning how do we listen to each other how do we listen to each other? Not so that we can find ways to you know, get our argument across, but how do we listen so that we can actually understand 
why do you think that way? Mm-hmm. And when you did that, what was behind that? What do you mean by that? Or, or, or when I said this and you took it that way, well, this is actually what I meant. It's, it's learning to be in community, you know, foreign concepts, to socialize, to, to reconnect as just people who respect and love each other. So how are you taking what you're learning right now mm-hmm. and instilling in those younger generations the appreciation of the old guys? Well, I'd say we're, one of the things I think that makes Young Life unique is that, at least on the outward expression of our ministry, so when we're going and reaching that middle school kid or that high school kid or that college-age kid, we're already naturally wired to contextualize the work for them. Mm-hmm. Our, our team, they're meeting kids in the schools, on the street corners, in parks, wherever that kid is, we're going to live life with them, again, so that we earn the right. I'd say where I'm putting this to work is really more on the business side of things as we look to raise up leaders um, who can do that work. You know, Our average age uh, of our leader is is in that 20-something right now, and which is good because that's a younger generation. Mm-hmm. But then as you start to get higher up in leadership, again, that age diversity starts to you know get a little bit more you know, mono-focused. <laughs> mono but um, I, I'd say there's where we're you know, learning to, how do we listen? How do we understand the, the leader that we want to recruit that's coming out of college? Um, what are their needs? How do we contextualize the ministry for them so that you know as we're preparing them and equipping them to join, the work um, that we're doing so in a way that we're setting them up for success. We're creating an environment that um, is conducive to who they are and what they are called to. So, Arthur, um, as you are working with Young Life and um, trying to figure it out on the back end, like you said, you know, with the the business aspect of it, how do you get leaders, though? Um, oh, how, I don't have to become like the younger generation. How do I relate to them but mm-hmm. still be who I am? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you t- how are you telling people to do that? Um, I'd say that my research points to this simple fact that we have you know, naturally, I think as people um, tried to do or we, when, we, when we're most drawn to somebody, it's mm-hmm. usually because of this one thing. We see them as authentic, as real. Mm. They're, they're not false. They're not fake. They're not trying to be something that they're not. It's you know, when we sense that authenticity, yeah. then we were endeared to them. It's, it doesn't matter if they're 50 years our senior or you know whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the, the leading driver that one of the things we encourage our people is like, no, go be yourself. Um, whether you're a club leader that's in the second phase of your life, you know, in a second, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you can still go and reach that middle school kid because we're not asking you to go out there and do the Dougie, you know, or you know, to to do whatever it is to to, to be a Beyonce we're too old, fan. We don't even know what that <laughs> means, right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're calling you to do. We're calling Good. you to bring the gospel to them, mm-hmm. and the best way to do that is just to show up, just to be there, just to be yourself. People are calling in; they want to know what the Dougie is. <laughs> I would say Google it, but you may come across some other. Yeah, so, so don't. don't. Google it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Check out the Young Life for your youngsters in your life, younglife.org. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at iworkforhim.com. Stay connected and receive power-packed content when you sign up for our blog at iworkforhim.com or follow us on social media at iworkforhim. And finally, 
If today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at iWorkForHim and online, iWorkForHim.com. 